Well, good morning. I, I want to welcome you here to Greenberg Nazarene today. I'm glad you're here. This is always a fun Sunday, along with last week, because all of you 8.30 people get to meet the 10.30 people, so turn to your neighbor and say hello. Good to see you for the first time this year. <laughs> this is the, one of the three Sundays a year that we all get to come together and be a church in, in one service, um, but the Sunday always feels just a little bit different because our schedules have been weird over the holiday season. It's right in between Christmas and New Year's and we've been out of town and it can be it can feel so different to wake up this morning and be reminded, oh, it's it's Sunday. It's 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 time to go to church. But it is good that while we've been getting out of our normal routines, we can gather together like we do every every week and be reminded that God is here with us. Amen. Well, I hope you had a, a good week celebrating a warm, humid Christmas. Uh, it's been the warmest Christmas that I can remember. It didn't really feel like Christmas, but I hope that you uh, had a good time hanging out with family or friends or whatever you did. I hope that you felt loved this week because that's the goal. That's the reason um, for Christmas. But let's get started. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to two passages. We're going to first be reading out of Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And then we're going to be reading from Isaiah 63, 7 through 9. So flip to Isaiah 63, stick your finger there, and then flip to Titus chapter 2, but they'll be up on the screens. And while you're getting there, I want to give you just a little reminder. We will be dismissing this Wednesday night, so before the new year. So if you're planning on coming to church this Wednesday, we're going to be dismissed for the new year. Um, and we won't be having Wednesday night meals until February, so keep that um, in mind. And not only on January 19th do we have the awesome Financial Peace University class starting on Sunday mornings, but we are also, Melanie and I are going to be starting another I'm a Nazarene, Now What? small group. And we have two spots left for that. And so that's going to be beginning on January 19th at ni that night at our house. If you would like to be a part of that, that's one couple or two individuals, uh, get a hold of, of me or Melanie or, or contact the church office sometime. Um, we can get you signed up for that. Um, there's a lot going on during this, this Christmas season, but I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to be continuing with our sermon series that we've been in over the Christmas season titled, God With You. Over these last four weeks, we, we have talked about what it, what it truly means to walk beside God in every aspect of our life, of what it means to say that God is with us. And if you were here at the, at the first week of, of, the Christmas, uh, ser of this Christmas series, the, the, which was the first week of Advent, uh, when we introduced this song that we sang over and over and over for, for four weeks over the last month um, about what it, means, this, what it means to lead up in this Christmas season, I explained a little bit of what that means. Those weeks leading up to Christmas, the Advent season, is, is this waiting period. This time where we sit in expectant waiting that one day Christ will come. And, and the, the traditions of the church tell us that, that this, this week of Advent is supposed to be sent in, in not only this kind of impatient waiting for Christ to come, but also this, this kind of mourning that he's not here yet. And, and the goal of that is to lead up to this miraculous Christmas morning when finally Christ is present with us. And I didn't get too far on that um, when, I, when I spoke on it, when I introduced the song uh, four or five weeks ago, because I felt like uh, you'd be getting two sermons in one, but I'm preaching today, so here we are. I thought I'd explain it one more time. But singing that song, Come Thou Long, Expected Jesus, was reminding us that we were waiting for Christ. And then last Sunday, we took communion together. 
And that was to remind us of what the life of Christ led up to. It was to remind us of of who we are called to be because of that presence of Christ. Communion was a way that we remembered how the life of Jesus that was just about to begin, how it ended with his death and with his resurrection. And then since we were all together uh, last week, we've celebrated Christmas in our own unique ways. We've spent with time with family. We may have spent time with friends or even by ourselves celebrating the birth of the Savior. And all of this, all of the last month, was a constant reminder that today, going into 2020, Christ is here with us. So this morning, as we're about to enter into 2020, I want to continue to take our theme of Christmas, to take the presence of Christ into the next year with us. So with that in mind, let's get to these two passages of Scripture. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And this is Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 9. Isaiah writes this, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord. Because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 8, for he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all of their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Let's pray. God, this morning as we've opened up your word to these these two extremely similar passages of scripture, God, we pray that this morning that that you will also open up our hearts, that we will be open to what you have to say to us this morning. Um, God, we pray that you will not let us get in the way of your word, but you will mold and form and you will transform us through your word this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Now, it it would be impossible to read these two texts outside of the context of Christmas that Jesus is here with us that we've been celebrating over the last month. But I do want to point out one thing to you. I want to read these two scriptures one more time, side by side, and I want, to look, I want you to look at the obvious similarities that are there. And actually, I'm going to read them without them being on the screen um, a little differently. I'm going to read them kind of inside one another. Let's start in Isaiah verses, verse 7. It says this, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor of the house of Israel, that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Now, I want want to go to the, to the, the passage from Titus and read it kind of in between these two stanzas of Isaiah. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And let's finish with the passage from Isaiah. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all of their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved him. Them In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Now, the reason that I read the, those passages twice, and I know that they're lengthy, lengthy passages, is because I want you to see this morning that those passages are nearly identical. From the way that they talk about the salvation that God is bringing um, to the way that they talk about the response of the people of God to, to that salvation, even to, to the discussion of the present age in Titus and the way that Isaiah speaks of, of the days of old, they are blatantly similar to, to the point that if today these were written and published, it would be copyright infringement. And, and what should blow your mind with the similarities between these two passages of Scripture were, is that they were written decades apart. They were, they were di- written from two completely different historical contexts and historical uh, perspectives, but yet they are both talking about a similar event. One from the perspective of before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and another from the perspective of after it. And in Titus, and the author of Titus is Paul, Paul is writing a a letter to Pastor Titus, and he includes these few verses here in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, as a core statement of belief that Titus was to build his good works on. And Isaiah is writing in this post-exile context, which means that the text that we're looking at today is from a portion of the book of Isaiah known as 3rd Isaiah that was written to the people of Israel uh, during the time when the Israelites had returned home from being exiled in Babylon, and they had begun to rebuild their lives. And what I want us to focus on primarily today is the term that is used in both of these passages. It's this term that has saturated the context of Christianity from the very beginning. In fact, we know it as the very essence of who God is. It's the term grace. Isaiah says that he will count the many gracious deeds of the Lord. And then Paul, writing to Titus, states that the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. And as Isaiah writes of that grace, and as Paul states, we have been reminded during this Christmas season that the grace of God appeared through Jesus Christ. And Paul in Titus is giving us the answer to the one question that all of our Sunday school teachers have answered. From our mini church teachers to our young at heart class, all of our Sunday school teachers have answered the question, what is grace and how is it different from mercy? And Paul is reminding Titus of exactly what the grace of God is. The grace of God is Jesus Christ, who was sent as the embodiment of the love of God. And this is what these two passages of Scripture taken together can tell us. But why is it that Paul refers to Jesus as the grace of God? And what does Isaiah mean when he says that that we should count the gracious deeds of the Lord? Well, they are both referring to the fact that uh, that these things that they're talking about, the presence of Jesus Christ is utterly free. 
Whereas here on earth, and we can be reminded of this during the Christmas season, uh, everything seems to be about giving um, in order to get. But God has come down in our midst on Christmas Day free of charge. And Christmas has reminded us that we cannot earn or deserve his love, but instead, while, while we're minding our own business, in the busyness of life, in the busyness of the Christmas season, he has come in our midst truly with us. God is with us. This free gift is the one that we have found at Christmas, lying in a manger, absolute tender love. And what his presence and his glory does is, is it doesn't overwhelm us. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't scare us. His presence doesn't scare us. But instead, we know that Jesus was born in poverty. Not so that he couldn't win. Uh, he was born in poverty so that he couldn't win our hearts with wealth. He couldn't win over people with his power. He couldn't win over people with his stature. But instead, he won the hearts of the world with his love. After both authors acknowledge the grace of God, they both then say that the appearance of that grace holds salvation. And what I love about holding these two scriptures side by side is that they frame salvation in a unique way. They both frame it in their own uh, way. In verse 11, Titus says that the appearance of grace has brought salvation for all. But Isaiah says that God came, became their Savior in all of their distress. Now, realize that, that while the, the passage from Isaiah is seen as a prophecy that is referring to Christ, it's talking about salvation in the past tense, as if they have already um, been saved. Um, Isaiah is writing that their salvation has already come. They have been relieved of their distress, and they have been relieved of that exile that they were in. And the, the translation of verses 8 and 9 are really difficult when you look at the original language. And that's the reason that I switched to a different, uh, different version for the Isaiah passage. But the NIV uh, reads like this. In all of their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. But the NRSV clears it up a little bit. It was in their distress that salvation was brought. And how was it brought? Isaiah says that it wasn't through a messenger. It wasn't through a preacher or a teacher or even a prophet, but it was through the gracious presence that the salvation was given to the Israelites. They were saved because God was in their midst. Now that's important. Our two points so far is that the grace of God has appeared to us through Jesus Christ. And we receive salvation because God is in our midst. The gracious presence of God is here, and it has brought us salvation. We are saved because God is among us. And that's why this passage from Isaiah is seen as a prophecy. Because even though it was meant to remind the Israelites of what had happened to them, and, and this could be why it's repeated in different words by Paul, because while it had happened to the Israelites, in that moment the people of Israel were saved. There was still more to come. Because while they had been saved from their distress, there was still a salvation coming for all. Now this distinction is important. Paul makes a big deal through all of his writings in the New Testament about what salvation is, and who it's for. All throughout all of his writings, but here in blatant detail, 
in a passage that reflects so heavily the scripture from Isaiah that Paul knew of and he had most definitely read. Um, The message of Isaiah is Israel coming out of exile and he makes a point to say that while the people of God were saved in their distress, the grace of God was now brought as a salvation to all, to all who are distressed. And this passage from Paul is is one of the primary verses that's used to form uh, what we call a theology of provenient grace, which we've talked about and we've preached on before, or the grace that comes before. And what that means is that that salvation that Jesus brought was for all. I I like to view it as God running towards each and every one of us. From the moment that we were born, he's opening doors to reveal his love to us and to show us how desperately we need it. And he does that for for everybody. It's the grace that comes before we are saved, that God is revealing himself to us as his people. And that's the salvation that Paul is writing about. Paul is saying that this salvation isn't just for the people of God. It wasn't just for those uh, that are gathered here today at church or, or those in churches today. But instead, this is a gift that has been freely given to all people. Through Christ, God has made his love known to all. And this is what the presence of Christ brought on Christmas. Both of these passages also use the word redeemed that we have been redeemed by God. Paul says that we have been redeemed from all lawlessness and purified in the light of Christ to be zealous for him. That redemption is what salvation is at its very essence. It's a love that has been poured out on all humanity. But I think that the next question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is how do we respond to that? So Christ is here, the grace of God is here in our midst. It has brought salvation to all, but how do we respond? How do we respond to the grace that God has shown us uh, through love and mercy? And these two passages of scripture show us that we respond to it by our actions, as Paul says, in the present age. These two passages both say that they bring us transformation and hope today, and not just tomorrow. Verse 8 from Isaiah says that because the Israelites were God's people, they would not deal falsely, and they would be carried just as they were in the days of old. And in Titus, verses 12 and 13, Paul says that that salvation is training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. This is supposed to be our response to the presence of God, the salvation of God. We experience true transformation and hope. And we live that out in who we are today. We have been shown mercy. We have been redeemed And we are now supposed to live our lives as a reflection of how Christ lived his. And that's what we do with the presence of God. God's grace is present today in our midst, bringing us salvation, and we respond with our transformation. But if Christmas reminds us, that God is continually here with us. And it reminds us that, that his presence brings us salvation and that salvation brings us transformation and hope. How can we believe in that presence but still feel like we are living without it? 
how can we believe in our salvation but still so often live our lives like we are without that transformation and hope? We live in a time period where it is extremely easy to forget that we are surrounded by the presence of God. We get in our daily routines, we wake up, we get ready, we go to work, we come home, we go to bed, we do it all the next day. And we can get so far into that cycle that we forget to remind, we forget to find the presence of God in our daily, our weekly, and our monthly rhythms. Or, or maybe that it's, it isn't that we've forgotten to look for God in our busyness or in our routines, but maybe for some of us, it's that we can't feel the presence of God anymore. And it doesn't matter what we do. Maybe we searched and we've searched, but we can't find God anywhere. And what was once so clear and what was once so obvious to us uh, when we experienced our salvation, what was once so obvious in that moment now has been filled with silence and nothingness. Maybe that's some of our experiences today. That's what is called a dark night of the soul. When it feels like the presence of God is so far away from us that we may never get it back and lots of, of important church fathers and preachers um, and even, even, even popes um, have, have said that they have felt this dark, dark night of the soul when they have felt like they can't find God. And even Mother Teresa confessed that she felt that way. In fact, um, when Mother Teresa passed away, um, her, her journals and her diaries were donated to the church. And, and those journals told a dark story. She had confessed in them that she had this clear and obvious moment from God where she was called to live her life out in servitude um, to Christ. There was this clear moment when she knew, this is what God is calling me to do for the rest of my life. And she wrote in those journals that never once throughout her life did she ever feel the presence of God again. She said that, that she, would, she would hope and she would pray and she would cry out for God, God, am, am I doing the right thing? Am I, tell me, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what you, what you called me to do? And she said that God always felt distant from her. And so this lady, this woman who, who we know as maybe one of the most Christ-like individuals since Jesus himself confessed that even though she was seeking it, she felt as if God had left her. And this is the reality, I think, for some of us, or even a lot of us um, today. And so this morning, I think we need to be reminded that in this Christmas season, whether we recognize it or not, whether we feel it or not, God is indeed with us. There's an excerpt from the, the prayer of St. Patrick that fits so well with this series that we've, been, um, that we've been in over the last month. That God, to be reminded that God is indeed with us in this, um, in this Christmas season. And this excerpt from the, that, that prayer is a clear reminder not only that yes, Christ is with us, but because of the grace that God sent down for us, we are called then to be christ to those around us. And that prayer says this, Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me and Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and Christ on my left. 
Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of every man who speaks of me, and Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me, and Christ in the ear that hears me. Now, I want to admit something to you this morning. Um, It's that I'm a weirdo. And I know that a lot of you have probably already figured that out. You've known me, a lot of you have known me for far too long. Um, I know that when I get up to preach, half of you think, all right, we're getting out of here before 1130 and we are right on schedule. (laughs) And the other half thinks, man, this dude is a little extra. (laughs) But Christmas reminds me that I am a weirdo. Because I am this, I'm a stickler for tradition. And, and it really shows around Christmas time. I am dead set in certain ways that I celebrate Christmas. And I think all of us are this way to an extent. We get up at a certain time on Christmas morning. Uh, we, we may eat breakfast or we may rush to open gifts depending on what your family does. Some Christmas, uh, or some, some Christmas, some, some families may read the Christmas story out of the Gospels on Christmas Eve. Um, Others of us may watch a Christmas story on TV, which are two totally different things. And both of them are good. I'm not saying either one. (laughs) We actually watched a Christmas story. We didn't read it. (laughs) But my family, for for years, what we have done on Christmas Eve is that we've we've turned to uh, the midnight candlelight service of a Methodist church in Little Rock that comes on Channel 7. That's what we've done for years. We've watched this, this candlelight service together. And now that I'm married and I can stay up however long I want on Christmas Eve, when that goes off, I can, I can tune into uh, the Vatican's Christmas Mass with the Pope that goes on until one in the morning. And that's what I've kind of made my Christmas Eve um, tradition. But there's certain things that, that we all do that makes it feel like Christmas. And without those things, it doesn't feel that way at all. But it's, it's this rhythm that we get into. It's the rhythm of the things that make it feel like Christmas time. We put up trees, um, we travel, uh, and the rhythm may change over our lifetime. Getting married, um, having children, losing a loved one can all change those traditions. But they are always replaced with something else that can remind us that it's Christmas time. And as we look back over the last few weeks, over what we have learned about how God is with us, and as we have been reminded of the great grace that has been given to us, we now look forward to a new year of 2020. And as a congregation, I would love to see us make a resolution together, a resolution to commit ourselves to forming a rhythm that reminds us of the presence of Christ. I'm reading this book right now that's talking about the concept of traditions or the the concept of these rhythms, the things that we do over and over again um, and we make them something that can remind us or point us to something else, like the the rhythm that we get in around Christmas time that reminds us that it is Christmas. And and it talks about how you can take the ordinary, you can take the normal rhythms that we experience on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis And using those ordinary things, we can use those to point us to Christ. And these are things that we already do. It talks about how things such as as waking up, brushing your teeth, even losing your keys, which happens for some of us more than others. All of those things can be a reminder that, yes, Christ is with us. 
So in light of the graciousness of the Lord, in light of of the presence of God, what is something that we can do daily that's already a part of our regular routine that can remind us everywhere we go that the presence of Christ follows? follows. And I'll I'll give you a few examples. What if we we committed um, every morning we look in the mirror and we comb or we brush our hair? What if we committed that time to remind us daily that we are made in the image of God? Or if you took each time that you wake up in the morning to be reminded that just as you sit up, you once rose from the waters of baptism, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Or maybe it could be when you walk through the doors of your office building or wherever you work, you could remind yourself that you are called for your work to be a prayer to God and to do it with joy and delight no matter what it is. Maybe it could be when we're eating lunch or breakfast that we remind ourselves that we are being nourished and we are being transformed by the grace of God. Now see, all of these things are things that we do every single day. But we can use them as as reminders, and it doesn't take a long time, it just takes a thought, as reminders that Christ truly is with us wherever we go. Now, I'm I'm not going to pretend that I do this well already. Um, I'm preaching as much to myself as I am anyone else here. I know that sometimes um, I can go days without thinking about the presence of God at all if I'm in a particularly busy season. And that's why I want to make this commitment with our church family so that we can come together at the end of this Christmas season and devote the beginning of 2020 to God. That we will recognize together the presence of God in our lives over the next year. And I will say as, as kind of just a, a warning or as a, as a disclaimer that you may do this and you may remind yourself of God's presence every single day at multiple times throughout the day and you can still not feel the presence of God. This isn't some quick fix to that, but it is putting yourself in a position to recognize it when you do feel it or, or, or a reminder to us That even if we don't feel the presence of God with us, it's still with us. God is still there. And as we close this morning and as as we pray together, I want us to think about those rhythms in our life where we can be reminded that God is always with us. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of prayer together. Uh, and if you do feel so inclined to, to bring a burden or to bring either, even a celebration to the altar, um, you can. But as we enter into this time of prayer together, I want to reread the, that excerpt from the prayer of St. Patrick that I read a minute ago. I want us to be reminded as, as we celebrate um, in baptism in just a minute, I want us to be reminded as we, as we leave this morning that our prayer is for Christ to completely and totally surround us. So I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I always like for us to to change our position when we pray, to change our posture. So if you would do one more thing for me, if you just open your hands up in front of you. To physically open yourself up to the presence of Christ this morning. And after I read this, let this be your prayer. I'll say a closing prayer and we're going to celebrate baptism. Let's read this. Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, 
Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right and Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me and Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me and Christ in the ear that hears me. God, this morning we have have been reminded of your presence. God, we've been reminded that, that, that Christmas shows us that you truly, you did come down, that your grace came down, the embodiment of love came down to be with us, God. And it brought us salvation, Lord. And that salvation, it transforms us and, and it gives us hope today where we are. God, we pray that this morning we will leave this place and we we will be reminded that as the people of God, you are continually following us. Wherever we go when we leave this place, whether it's back home or when we go to work or or wherever we may go, God, may we be reminded this morning that you are following, that you are completely around us, Lord. God, we pray that that transformation turns us into that true reflection of you, God. So not only are are you with us, God, but then then we may be you to others who we are around. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you that that we have second and third and fourth chances um, in your eyes. God, we thank you um, that no matter what we do, your, your grace and your love is free to us, free to us all. God, this morning and through the last month, we've been reminded of that. We pray that we will be the people of God as we leave this place, that we will be your church, your hands and feet, and that the world may recognize that we love them as you love them. We ask in your name, amen. Amen. I want to thank Hunter for bringing us that great encouragement today and that reminder that God is with us. We've been reminding ourselves over and over, week after week, and we What my prayer has been is that this has been something that you have learned to remind yourself of. And uh, what a great reminder this morning that uh, sometimes we just need to put some disciplines in place in our life so that we are reminded that God is always with us and He lives in our heart. And we're celebrating that today with a young lady. Four out of the last five weeks we have, have had the opportunity to baptize someone as they make a public profession of faith. And last Sunday after church, I uh, had this young lady come to me, and she shared with me how she had accepted Christ as her Savior, and she wanted to be baptized and make a public profession of faith. So I want to ask Charlie, if she will, to join me this morning down here in the baptistry. And I know it's a great day of celebration, not only for her, but also for her family. God's done a work in Charlie's life, but God's also doing a work in her family. And to him, we give glory for that. And uh, Charlie, I want to ask you again in front of all these people the same questions I asked you last week when we talked. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus and accepted him into your heart as Lord and Savior? And you know that you're now a child of the King, and you're going to live your life for him for, for the rest of your life. You're going to do that. All right. Well, this morning what we're doing, and I explained to Charlie...
this represents the death, burial, and resurrection. It's basically an example of what Jesus did and what Jesus did for us. And as we go under the water, it's this cleansing. It's not any power in the water. It's the power of the blood of Jesus that does the cleansing. This just represents what's taking place in our life. And the old is dead and buried, and we're resurrected in Jesus into new life. That's why we encourage you to be baptized. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. And so if you haven't done that today, I want to encourage you. The faith of a child, the courage of a child is a great example to all of us this morning. Charlie, this morning. Well, what a great day, and I hope that uh, you have a a great rest of your day, and uh, we love you so much. Happy New Year to you and your family. Hope you have a great week as we start this new year together.